This program is brought to you by Genly Productions. At genlyproductions.com, you can find resources to nourish and inspire, including home retreat kits, home study courses, books, and accessories. You can also join our free Emerging Icons video series, or sign up to get good mail the old-fashioned way and receive our full-color, magazine-ish catalog in your mailbox. Genly Productions. Hold the possibilities in your hands. I'm Jen Lee, and you're listening to Retrospective. People who know artist and designer Liz Callick for her vibrant paintings or her artful jewelry constructions may not realize that her journey has also included work for large corporations and publishers. Her design projects have included Disney Classics for Walt Disney Productions, Buffy the Vampire Slayer for 20th Century Fox, and Harry Potter for Warner Brothers Films. She's also worked as an art director for publishing houses. But these days, Liz enjoys a work life of her own making as a freelance designer, collaborating with artists like Marianne Radmacher, and on many of our own projects here at Genley Productions. Her story is one of self-discovery and saving graces. When did you know that you were an artist? I don't think that I ever put words to it, but I've never not known anything else in the sense of like, I've never not known when, you know how when you feel yourself inside your body and you're looking out through your eyes, it's always felt this way. It's not like, but I think when I was a kid, you know, I didn't, I didn't put words to it. Um, How did it show up then? I just wanted to draw all the time. And it was something that my mom encouraged. Um, She had a lot of young children all at the same time. And I think it was easy. And she, she's, she draws and used to paint. But I think it was an easy way to keep us all occupied at the same time. And so it was always really encouraged. And it was something that I just kept doing. Because there was like a, even when I couldn't draw well, even when, even there's still some days now where I can't draw what I want to draw, but um, it was like to have an image in my head and be able to put it down on paper. Um, that impulse has always been there. And um, tell me a little bit about when you made the transition because you've been a staff designer you've been on staff as an art director um tell me a little bit about making the transition into doing freelance work and making your own schedule and picking your own clients and kind of having this work life now which is something that you very much craft and um, create mm-hmm. as opposed to showing up and having um, a company or other people or circumstances kind of create your work for you. Yeah, it's... Um, like, why did you make that transition? What was going through your mind at the time? What were you looking it, to do? It was kind of a mix of happenstance and and directing me in a direction I wanted to go um I'm not I don't know how it would have gone but um I was 
in-house um, senior designer for a publishing company. And um, when the, around like late 1999, early 2000, when the dot-com bubble kind of went ba-boom, they had put all of their, a lot of their money into converting the business to more online and it didn't work out. And there was a three, four series of layoffs and I got laid off in the fourth round and was like, wow, okay. I don't have freelance clients lined up. I don't have a job. And so I'm going to just kind of make it up. We had a little bit of cushion of savings and I had unemployment. And um, my husband was working, and so I was like, okay, I guess this is my moment. You know, you know when you get presented with a moment and sometimes you recognize it, hopefully you recognize it. I've had a lot of moments presented that I didn't recognize, that one I did. And I was like, oh, wow. I could really take the time to set this up and, like, create how to make a living. And... It was totally exciting and totally fucking scary because I would have work some months, none other months. And so I would collect unemployment on the months that I had no billing. And then I started getting work from some of the companies that I had been in-house staff designer for. They found out that I wasn't working, that I was freelancing. And it was like, oh, we've got some freelance work for you. Do you want it? And so I kind of cobbled that together. Some of the freelance work that I took was not necessarily work that I wanted to do, but it was a way to keep paying the bills and get off unemployment and kind of really feel like, okay, I can make a go of this. Um, and then I started lo actively looking for work as a freelance designer and or art director and going after work and, you know, putting portfolio together with a letter, um, contacting people, um, via the internet and saying, here's, you know, here's what I do and I'm available to design for you. And so I've done that and I did that pretty consistently, had very, cons and I've had very consistent work and kind of really got to the point or got to the place that I had wanted to be when I got laid off in 2000. And w once I actually got there, I realized now I, this is kind of not the place that I want to be anymore in terms of working for large companies. I would much rather be working for individuals for doing design work for artists, doing design work for other writers, doing more collaborative projects and, um, not being hired by, um, mostly publishers is, is the work that I've done is gift industry publishing and book publishing. And, the work is great, but I'm so much more intrigued and so much more kind of fed by working smaller, which is, you know, you, you, you th you're going for, so over the course of the last 12 years, it's like, this is what I'm going for. Oh, I got it. And now I'm kind of like turned to look in a different direction and, and moving towards something else. So when you talk about this other kind of work that's smaller, that's with individual artists, it's collaborative. What is it that shows up when you're doing that kind of work that's distinctive from your experience with the big corporations? I think that the added element 
with working with the individuals for me is that collaborative quality, even if the project isn't necessarily set up to be like, we're going to do this project together. It's kind of what it ends up being. Whereas when you're working for a company, they have a set budget. They have an art director that's, that's going to tell me what their vision is. And then I'm to create it. It's great. I love doing that. I'm good at doing that. But when I'm working with an individual and we're building something, there's not always a definitive end in mind. There's an idea, there's a structure, there's like, okay, so I want this book and we're going to finish the book and I want um, some photographs and yes, I'm going to self-publish it, but I don't know how many pages it's going to be. I don't know necessarily everything that's going to be in it yet. And so there's a, um, is it symbiotic? Is that the good word? That ends up happening of being able to feed each step to, together is how it ends up happening. So the way I imagine it in my head is like, for instance, the, the work that you and I've done together. It's like, I feel like on so many of the projects, the picture in my head is like, I'll take a step with my left foot and then you take a step with your right foot. And so we're like, we end up becoming this one body that's moving towards finishing the project and learning each time I do a project like that, I learn more about myself personally, but also about myself, like how I work and the things that I still need to learn about working with other people. And, and I learn how, I think in a much more direct way, I learn how I express myself creatively because there is that one-on-one -on -one. rather than I'm answering to an art director. Um, there's a, you know, there's a series of deadlines, which there always are, but like when you're working for a company, it's, they've got their catalog coming out. They've got, they're releasing X amount of other books at the same time. And they've got their eye on a lot of pies, whereas that's, and that's, that's what it is. It's like when you're working for a bigger company, they're usually working towards a release with, you know, 30 books and 20 journals and like that. Whereas when I'm working individually, it's one or two things, sometimes just one. And so it, it it's like it creates this full kind of, creates this full round feel of, you know, everybody is getting to have their input. It moves at the pace it's moving. And there's, there's a much more organic quality to it. I think I went off on a tangent, but... Um, Do you feel that working that way actually changes and impacts the final product? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that it does. I think that... Um, I think that sometimes, you know, and, and I've worked in-house as a designer for quite a few companies, and... I think because there are deadlines set with so many products that have to be released at the same time and they're usually working towards, you know, New York gift show or the, um, BEA for the book people. And, um, it, it, there's not room, there isn't room to have a brilliant idea and change direction in midstream. 
Mm. Whereas with the smaller projects, okay, so we still have this deadline, but like I came up with a, a whatever for somebody which made them think of this photograph that they took and then, oh, this piece that I wrote that maybe we can pull that in. And then it changes the scope and the project becomes um, not something else, but the project becomes fuller and deeper. So I want to ask you about this idea of saving graces. I think sometimes when we look back on our journey so far, there mm. are people or circumstances or places or events that we can look back and have this kind of feeling of like, that was a saving grace for me. And I'm curious what some of those times or people or places have been for you. Um, I think the biggest one and probably the first one was my grandmother. I was 19 and kind of struggling with how to stay in school and um, had to work. Um, and there was a school trip that I was at, I was at Mass College of Art, I think then. But there was a school trip over Christmas break where one of the art history professors was taking a group of kids to Greece to go to all the temples and da da da. And I so wanted to go and didn't have the money. And my grandmother gave me, the, and it changed everything for me. We had been, we had, I had, we had been in Massachusetts. I was still in Massachusetts after we, you know, living overseas. And I was in a relationship with a guy that was much, much older than me and thinking like I needed to like fit in and be in America in a way that I kind of never really understood. And I just needed something to like pivot on is the best kind of imagery that I can come up with. So she gave me the money to go for the school trip and I stayed for another two weeks after and um, extended the trip, changed my plane ticket and stayed for another two weeks and came home. And it was like that, the gift of that was what got me like kind of into my twenties and on the road that I ended up on through my whole 20s, which was living in Europe. So I came home and I broke up with my boyfriend <clears throat> and I sold everything that I could sell and I moved to Greece. Mm -hmm. And I was gone in like, I think maybe within three months of coming back, I was gone. Dropped out of school. It's like, bye-bye, going to Greece. That's so interesting and it's especially because you can really feel how present that influence is in you mm -hmm. all these years later because your online store is called Athena Dreams. Dreams. I know. And I think that <clears throat> that Greek art still is, plays a heavy influence in your art making, wouldn't it you say? It does. It does in like this funny kind of way because I have no, like, I have a spiritual connection for sure. Like, it probably there. And the first time I went to Scotland was like that feeling of like the land and the light and the people was like, oh, I'm home in this like kind of primal way. Um, but that's how I felt when I did this school trip to Greece was like, oh, I'm home. And 
art and the land and especially the light. Sometimes like when we were on the ferry yesterday and the sun behind the city, um, it reminds me of Athens. Mm. I think because of all the stucco and stuff, but there's just a, um, yeah, there's there's a there's a connection for me spiritually, I guess, or, or on some level. I mean, <clears throat> we don't. I'm not Greek, but everybody when I was living there, everybody thought I was Greek. I mean, I've got dark hair, dark eyes, so you know it's not too far a leap. But all of my friends that were American and British would laugh because um, there's a phrase in in Greek when the Greek guys come and try and pick you up. It's called making kamake, mm. and they would always crack up because they're like, they're always like coming up to you and speaking in Greek. And one of my really good friends was like, I have dark hair and dark eyes and they all speak English to me. It's really funny. Um, but yeah, it's like, that's a moment. And like, I look, I feel like it, it, for a lot of different reasons about my grandmother, she was there at a lot of different points in my life, but that was like the big kind of life changer. Like it was the, it was one of those where you look back and think that was the that was a crossroads and if if she hadn't paid for me to go on that trip my life would be very 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 different i have no idea what it would be like but it would be very different i think it's interesting the way sometimes we need uh i'm trying to figure out how to describe it it's almost like the way a place can have the power to give us a certain kind of permission or to help us find some aspect of ourself that we can't seem to tap into in other places Mm -hmm. like this is it comes up in a lot of conversation even about my journey and my my friends when i talk to them but i think as a culture we don't talk about the importance of place and i think people talk a lot about finding the right person to spend your life with but for me finding the right place place has been at least as influential. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. But I think often we're raised in a certain place and I think it feels strange for my family, both of our families of origin, that we choose to build a life someplace so different mm-hmm. geographically when than when they are. And there's almost this feeling of like, well, what's not good enough for you about here? here. It's good enough for us. Right. Like people have this almost defensive feeling, but there's literally a way that when I go home from New York, I feel like I cannot be myself here. The way I get to be myself in New York Mm -hmm. City is a very different experience Mm -hmm. and similar to what you're talking about in Greece. And I just think, isn't that interesting? Like you were saying, if you hadn't left Massachusetts, Mm -hmm. who would you be right now? Who would I be? I don't, I don't really know. I mean... I did, so I did most of my 20s in Europe, and when I came back and was paying my school loans off, um, I didn't, it it was like this visceral response of, I don't want to go back to Massachusetts. Mm -hmm. And and I think it's the same kind of thing as with your family. I lived in Massachusetts for a long time, but I never felt from there. My mother is from there. And... I went to high school in the town that she grew up in because she bought the house that she grew up in for my grandparents um, when they were retiring. 
and I needed to get away from there. I needed to like figure out who I was. I needed to figure out what my voice was. And I think like the whole being the oldest sibling thing and the setting the example and being, being my mother's kind of, I was going to say assistant, but it, that's, that's totally the wrong vibe. Sometimes I think about just, it as being the mini mom. Yeah. 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 Um, I just needed to get away from that and, um, and figure out like the thing that, that I always, when I look back there, I think I couldn't hear my own voice because it was so kind of covered over by what I should do and what I needed to do and what the family needed me to do. And, um, and part of this too is because my parents got divorced when I was a teenager. So my mother went back to, went to work for the first time. So there was a lot of extra stuff to do. And it was just like a sense of feeling lost in the, what I must do's. And I was 19. So there's it no just, room for the, what I want to do. So. Yeah. Yeah. And there had been a big fight about, not a big fight, well, a little bit with my dad about me going to art school. Like that was just the most ridiculous idea in the world. And um, so I had pushed for that and um, and was putting basically putting myself through school because my dad wouldn't help. Mm-hmm. So um, there was just this these layers of... It almost felt like I was underground, under under so many layers of, you know, some thin layers of rock, and then there was dirt and stuff. But it just felt like I was underground, and so, and and kept trying to get out to where I was supposed to be. But it was it was really hard. And I think that the making making that decision to move to Greece and being so far away um, was the best thing, and and like feeling like getting to that place where I, where I was like, okay, now I can like really hear where I want to go. I can hear my voice. Um, and I'm going to, I'm probably going to make a bunch of mistakes and that's okay. I was, cause that was the other piece I think too, is that I think with my family, I felt like I couldn't make a mistake. Mm. There was just, and it wasn't a shame thing. It was just like, it was, I couldn't make a mistake because it was going to affect so many other people if I made a mistake. It would impact them in a negative way, and I couldn't do that because I was the good girl. Mm. Um, And so there was a, I felt like wildly irresponsible moving to Greece, even though I got a job as soon as I got there and, you know, did, it wasn't like I was asking for money from my parents or, or from my grandparents. Um, I supported myself and had the adventures that I wanted to have Mm. and met so many people and who saw me instead of seeing the daughter of Jeannie Balfour, who everybody knew in town. Um, not that that was bad. You know, I don't want to mm-hmm. put that on it, but um, <laughs> that's like, he's gay. Not that that's a bad thing, but, <laughs> 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 but, 
But when you live in a small town where your mother grew up and everybody knew you, including, you know, like the guy that owns the hardware store, oh, you're Jeannie's daughter. There's not a lot of room for, um, I didn't feel like there was a lot of room for who am I. Right, because there's so much past attached. Mm -hmm. Even if it's not your past, it's her past that's already present for people. And they're looking at you, seeing you probably at the same age that she was. Mm-hmm. when they first knew her mm-hmm. and so there has to be some of that past yeah. in their expectations and their vision of yeah. who you are yeah you're not you're not a clean slate to them Mm-mm. the way if you moved to a town where no one ever knew your family yeah you would have that yeah. clean slate experience and i love that i mean the the single thing that i remember the most about like the trip that i took to greece when i made the decision that i was going to move there while I was there, was sitting in a cafe in this area of Athens that's right below the Acropolis. It's called the Plaka, and it's a walking neighborhood. There's no cars, and um, lots of cafes and lots of shops, but also lots of homes, lots of apartments, lots of little little houses. And um, I remember sitting there drinking a coffee, and there were so many languages. You know, Greek being predominant, but and some snatches of English here and there, but um, German and Dutch and French and, you know, just passing me by. And I didn't know what most anybody was saying, and it felt so nice. It felt so good to just be like, it's just, you know, it's like bird song. It's like... It's like chipmunks talking to each other in the tree. You know, it didn't doesn't matter that I don't understand what they're talking about. I loved that. So now that you're in San Rafael mm-hmm. and you're like very settled and rooted into a life, your life here with your partner, how do you keep that sense of adventure or whatever that was? Like... Was it enough for you that you had that in your 20s and now it's just become part of who you are? Or is there a way now that you balance that sense of like adventure with groundedness? I don't, it's, it, it, I don't, I don't totally know the answer to that and it is something that I've thought about a lot. I think that, I think in my 20s I didn't so much travel as I serially moved. <laughs> <laughs> Because it wasn't like, oh, I'm going to go spend a week in Norway. It was like, I lived in Greece. I did travel some because I had to leave the country every three months to renew my residency visa. And um, so we would go away, you know, a bunch of us would go away for a weekend. But I'm, and then I moved to Paris and I lived in Paris. And then I moved to Scotland and I lived in Scotland. So I feel like it was less adventuresome. But maybe, I guess it's still adventuresome because I'm going to a different country to live. And maybe more nomadic or something? Yeah. Yeah, it's just, it kind of, that. I have to think of a better word for it, but I've thought about, like, when sometimes when I've heard people, hear people say, you know, he's a serial monogamist, it was like, I'm kind of a serial travelist. Because <laughs> <laughs> I haven't actually done that much traveling. Mm-hmm. Um, but I've been a lot of places. Mm-hmm. So... I think that like the adventure stays there in just in terms of like how we're living our lives. Mm. 
I do travel some. It's mostly around um, friends, um, visiting friends, going to art retreats. It's, it's all kind of centered around my creative life now instead of a life, my life in my 20s where I was trying to figure out where I was going to go with my life. I'm kind of there. Mm -hmm. I've kind of been there for a while. So the adventure to me figuring this out as I talk, the adventure to me is to like, how do I stay in that life and keep it, um, and, and keep creating that life because it doesn't, as anybody that's, that's kind of living and working a creative life, it's not stagnant, you know, mm -hmm. it's not static. You get ideas all the time that build off of what you've done, that build off of, um, projects that friends have worked on that you've seen them working on and it spawns an idea in you and it's like oh I could do that um so kind of being free and open enough to stay open to where our lives are going to take us and there's definitely um uh, it definitely there's times where I feel like we're kind of at sea. There's there's months where I don't know how much money is going to come in. And your husband, we should say, is a oh. professional musician. Yeah. So you guys are really creating a life together yeah. where you're both following your creative dreams. Yes. Yeah. And and then balancing, you know, like, okay, I've got this great idea and I want to travel to here and do this or I want to go to Squam and or, and. You know, and he's like, well, I just got this offer to go tour in New Zealand. So how are we going to make that work? And um, it's a it's a kind of a constant <laughs> mm -hmm. juggle. And I don't I don't feel the need to be like, oh, we need to be traveling the world. And I feel like so maybe I feel like I did that. The other thing that I should say is that my husband is the complete antithesis of me. So I, I grew up moving all over the place when I was a child to moving over all over the place in my twenties and well into my thirties. Um, and he grew, has grown up here and stayed here mm. in the Bay area. Um, traveled very little. I think he had been to Colorado and Hawaii when I met him. Wow. And that's it. So, um, oh, in LA, but you and know, I love how you tell stories about how he has this friend that he's known since second grade, <laughs> and he has the same phone number yeah. that he's had since he was 17. Yeah. Like, you're right. It's a yeah. stark contrast it, it is. of rootedness mm -hmm. to your, um, you know, kind of having a variety of places that you weren't really setting down deep roots, and yeah. then now you guys are here and have, like, rather deep roots yeah. in the life you've built together. Yeah. I, um, I and I love living here. Mm. I think that, um, I think that the, that the serial traveling, um, I did. There's definitely a pull. I definitely go through periods where it's like, I would love to, like, rent the house out here and move to Europe for, like, a year with mm. him. Mm -hmm. And, and just kind of do that with him. But then we get stuck into our projects and you know, we're excited about what, what it is we're doing here. And it just, it hasn't happened yet. I mean, it might, but, um, I think, 
I think the juxtaposition with the with the way that both of us have been raised to, it creates a really a cool dynamic because I think he meeting him, falling in love with him in in an area where he grew up. I mean, we go out for dinner and inevitably there's someone like, oh hey Rob, and I'm like, who's that? Oh, I was in Boy Scouts with him, and it's like it cracks me up. It's like I don't know anybody. I can't imagine that. No, I I am in touch with a few people from high school, but before, and it's a very few people, like two. And I've even lost touch with people from college because I don't live anywhere near where mm -hmm. I went to college. So, so he's grounded me in that way and, and and it feels cozy in a way that it didn't feel cozy to me to go back to Massachusetts because it's not my family it's not my history it's his mm -hmm. and I can be like oh that's so sweet yeah and he still hangs out with his friend from second grade and they still act like they're eight years old and when they're together and it's really it's there's a there's a sweetness and a kind of a safety cozy nesty thing about it mm -hmm. but because it's not my directly my life, I don't feel suffocated by it. Mm. And for him, it's like, I think he feels like with her, I could, we could go anywhere because she's done it and, and she'll show me how to do it mm. because he's, he's like the, he loves having his circle of peeps and like, Rob, Rob, hey, Rob. And, you know, he's played basketball with the same group of guys for like 19 years. They go every Saturday morning. It's, it's crazy. And now they've all got knee braces. And <laughs> <laughs> but every Saturday morning, if there's no rain, they're out on the court playing. Mm -hmm. and, um, and he loves that. For me, you know, it would be like, if it were my people. Um, so I think it's, it's, in, it's a really good question because I think that there is a mixture of like, I think, I feel like we have adventure and we're right here in San Rafael. <laughs> yeah, I feel like that too. And I do travel, mm -hmm. you know, I travel a fair amount. But like I said, mostly now it's not like a, a like, oh, I don't know where I'm going. It's like, um, I'm going to Brooklyn to see Jen. I'm going to LA to see so you know, it's yeah. it's it's with a with a it's like with my connections with people. It's traveling to like recreate the connections with people that I have. Because when you're in person it, there's nothing like that. So I mean, true. I'm on the phone all the time, but it's it's not the same as being able to like look in your eyes and say, mm -hmm. "I have this great idea." <laughs> I know that's so great. Um, thanks so much for taking the time to talk to us. Thank you for listening to this episode of Retrospective. I'm your host Jen Lee. Meet me back here for more conversations and stories about where we are and how we got here on Retrospective. <laughs>